to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. Good morning. Give them one more hand. They did a good job. How's everybody doing this morning? God being good to you? We're here to give Him the praise and the glory, huh? Have your, how many have your Bibles? Raise them up if you have your Bibles with you. Get your ink pen out and mark in those things. We continue our study in the book of 1 Peter. Father God, bless this. Anoint it. Inspire me. Give me the strength and the energy I need, God, to share this word. In Jesus' name, and everybody say amen. amen. I'm going to do it a little bit differently this morning. And so we're going to read some verses, and we'll come back to some verses. So let's look at 1 Peter 1 and pick up right where we left off at, verse 6 through 8. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you've not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but you believe in Him, and you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now stay with me this morning. This is the Word of God. It's very countercultural. It says here that the result of truly believing in God and the result of truly loving God is that you'll have this crazy joy that'll be off the hook. That's what it says. Has it ever dawned on you like it has me that just maybe in America we're living away below the level of Christianity we're supposed to be living at? Just maybe. The other day I was talking about prayer, and this sermon isn't on prayer today, but I thought we're missing a lot of stuff in the Bible. It's pertinent for us to go back into the Word and start studying it again. For example, prayer, I was thinking about it. Jesus told us that we can actually move mountains in prayer if we have a small seed of faith. Now, think about it. When Jesus was out on the boat with the disciples, and the waves began to crash and roar, and they were just throwing that boat to and fro, they went and got Jesus. He came out, and He spoke to the waves and to the sea and to the wind, and immediately there was calmness. And if you read the text correctly, Jesus was kind of ticked at the apostles and said, you should have done this. You shouldn't have come and got me. You should have been able to do this. Now, I could go on and on, but when I look at prayer in the Bible, and I look at our prayer life, I think maybe we're missing something. For example, Jesus, we're told, prayed all night on the mountain before He went down and picked 12 of the disciples to be apostles. Now, prayed all night, and I'm thinking, duh, what, 
would cause me to pray all night over that issue. Maybe we're missing something. I don't know how it went, but quite possibly, maybe there's 120 people down there. Maybe he took each one and said, okay, I'm going to pray over Andrew right now. God, Father, help me remember anything he might have said or done that would disqualify him of being one of the 12. Was there anything? Supernaturally show me if there was. Now, Father, if there's anything that he did or said that I should see that would qualify him, show me right now. God, either make him stronger in my heart or make it weaker. But what about Andrew? What? Maybe he did that with all 120. I don't know. I'm not for sure. In the garden, he got on to the disciples for sleeping and not praying. And he said, man, you should be praying that you enter not into temptation. And when I hear that, I think that's a one-line prayer. Huh? But it seems like he's indicating to them that you should be taking a season here to pray over not entering into temptation. How does that work? Could it be that we don't know much about prayer? Maybe we need to learn more about prayer. And he says here that a result of really, really believing in God, a result of having radical faith in God, is that you'll have this joy inexpressible and full of glory. Wow. Do you know anybody like that? You know anybody? Oh, 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 oh praise Jesus. You know, all the time? Do you, if you do, I'd like to meet them. Listen to me. This is crazy. I told you years ago, and I'll repeat it for sake of illustrating this, but I was down at Costa Mesa, went into a Calvary Chapel, and this lady comes out that was working there and says, good morning, little child of God. Are you anxious for the return of Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Oh, I bet you're blessed today. And she went on and on. I'm going, are you for real, lady? And I went back to my hotel room. I forgot some. So the next day I wanted to go back and I thought, I'm going to see if she's for real. Here she comes. There's that little child of God on his way to heaven again. And she started saying all this crazy stuff. And I left going, she was odd. And I felt like God maybe spoke to my heart and said, maybe you're the odd one. Maybe she's not odd at all. Maybe it's you. Now, let's look at a Greek word here. In the Greek... The word for exult, the Greek word is exult, but we have, in our text, we have greatly rejoice. But it means so glad that one jumps in celebration. I mean, so glad that you jump around? Now, that's a great picture, word picture, of what the 49er fans are not going to be doing, but the Rams fans will be doing tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, as the Rams smash the 49ers and make them even embarrassed they were there, you watch. <laughs> Love it. We're going to rejoice. You go to football games, and people get all excited, and they spin around, they jump, and they give high fives. That's the word picture here. That's exactly what it's saying. Now, this same Greek word is used when Jesus talks about our rewards in heaven. Same word. We're going to have joy inexpressible. Let's make this very, very practical. What if someone filthy rich walked into this room today? And you knew for a fact they were filthy rich. And they walked up to you. And they said, God has spoken to my heart. I'm going to buy you or build you an $8 million home 
anywhere you choose. Malibu, Tahoe, Colorado, Idaho, tell me wherever you want it. God's told me to build you an $8 million home, and he's told me to give you $3 million just to live on the rest of your life. How would you react to that? Would you go, oh, cool. Thank you. That's really nice of you. No, you go, what? What? You're going to do what? And you'd probably get really emotional. That's kind of what it means here. Now, next it says your joy would be so great that it would be inexpressible. It would come from down here. And it would be full of glory, which means your joy would be tied to God in some way. Now, I believe that if we truly, truly got radical and really believed in God's Word and really loved Him with all of our heart, that would be the kind of joy we would have to one degree or another. Now, near-death experience I read years ago about a guy died, went to heaven, and he was in God's presence, and he just, oh man, like this is it. And then an angel told him, I can't remember the whole story, but you got to go back to the earth. And he says, man, under one condition, God, can I live in your presence like this the rest of my life? And God said to him, said, I've been in your presence like this from the very day you were born again. I've never left. So, the question I ask you at the outset here today, are we missing something? Does our faith in God need to be stronger? Does our love for Him, perfect love casts out all fear. Let's look at verse 9. Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. According to the book of Revelation, all of the overcomers will someday be saved from the presence of sin and this world. Do you know what an overcomer is? In Revelation, it says it over and over again. Those who overcome, those who overcome. An overcomer is someone who's still standing and smiling and praising God after all the dust settles. They're still focused. They're still focused. Now look at verse 10 through 12. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them. Now, notice this. What? These Old Testament prophets were seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them they were not serving themselves but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. By the way, these are things into which angels long to look. I want to show you three things in these verses. Number one is the Old Testament prophets had the Holy Spirit living in them. Huh? Yes. See, the Holy Spirit came and went in the Old Testament, and He would dwell in people for certain seasons and situations, The big difference is in the New Testament, he came for everybody. Now, throughout the years, people talk about, you know, Elijah and Elisha and Daniel. These were great men of God. They say, man, these were special agents of God. No, they were the only ones in the Old Testament with the Holy Spirit in them. They stood out because they had the Holy Spirit in them. And the same way you and I should stand out in society today because of the Holy Spirit. Quit trying to blend in when you've been called to stand out, baby. Stand out. Just like the book of Acts, we're in the same situation. 
When the Holy Spirit's using us, we're going to stand out. The second thing I want you to see here is these prophets were inspired to write things down that they really didn't understand. They didn't know why they were writing them. All I know is God's told me to write this down, and I'm going to write it down. Let me ask you a question. How many times in our life does God ask us to do something or say something, and we have absolutely no reference point for it? I don't know why. I'm here. Why? I don't know why. I'm calling you today. Why? I don't know why. The Holy Spirit told me to do it. I told you a guy in our church quite a few years ago was in another country, another faraway land, and he was working. And one day, I mean, I was in prayer and worship, and God told me, you call him right now and tell him what I'm telling you to tell him. And I called this guy, and I said, man, I don't know anything about you or what you're doing, but God told me that he wants to talk to you because he's ticked. (laughs) He's not happy with you. I don't know what it's about, but you need to go talk to him. I found out a year later he was having a full-blown affair with some woman, not his wife, and living with her in that other country. And I, I didn't know why. Uh, I, I, uh, Tom Dishroon was a guy that used to go to this church, and Tom had some real health problems, issues. He'd go in the hospital every few months, and he'd come out, come out. One day he went in the hospital, and Tom was a, a very cool guy. I don't know why in those days we would have flowers up front. We'd put flowers out. I think every time someone had a birth or a death, we put flowers out. Every service he'd come up, can I have the flowers? And I knew what he wanted. I'd give them to him. And he'd go door to door in a trailer park over here and give him flowers. And so one day he went in the hospital, and I had no clue that it was going to be any different than the times he goes in and out to get stuff done. And God spoke to me and said, go up to the hospital tonight. You're supposed to tell him something. I got in my car. I mean, I live this way. My poor wife, where are you going? The hospital, why? I don't know. <laughs> I drove up there, walked in the room. He was in a semi-coma, which I didn't know. Grabbed his hand. I said, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand real tight. God, what am I supposed to say? Okay. Tom, God's sending angels for you tonight. They're coming to get you. If you understand that, squeeze my hand. He squeezed it and tears began to fall down his face. I said, buddy, I'll see you on the other side. I'll see you on the other side. And I left. Two hours later, he died. Nobody expected him to die. He died. I mean, I could go on and on. I was in a McDonald's some time ago, and I know God spoke to me. He said, it was a thought that went over and over. Put a $20 bill on the table when you leave. And I go, what? Why would I do that? Just do it. And it was over. I go, okay, $20. I'll go. And I went outside, and I thought, I want to see what's going on. Why why did I do that? No joke, within about three minutes, a homeless guy comes in, throws his backpack down, and he does this here. He looks at the 20, he goes. <laughs> and I could give you, I could keep you here for 20 minutes, telling you the times that I do something or say something, and I don't know why I'm doing it or saying. That's the same way they work. But that's what makes this life crazy and exciting. Last, it says in the text they were serving us and what they were doing and not themselves. Hello, are you listening to me? God's speaking to somebody today. He's not just talking to me. Very often, we're doing things. Like right now, at this season of my life, I'm doing a bunch of things that aren't for me. They're for the guys following me. I know that. I know also a lot of you today, you're the product of seeds that somebody else planted and watered before you. You're walking in the blessings of someone else who prepared the way for you. 
And so they're doing stuff that's not for them. I'm doing stuff today saying things that is for my grandkids. It's for the next generation. We don't need to be so self-centered. Now back to verse 6 and 7. Let's read those again. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. Now, one way that God accomplishes His will in our life is by using trials and problems. Again, this is countercultural. The Bible's countercultural. I'm going to give you six things that God will use the trials in your life to accomplish. Six things. You ready? The first one is this. He's going to use trials in your life to produce endurance. Now, I want you to know, Peter, James, and Paul all said basically the same thing about trials. Look at what James said in James 1, 2, and 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, listen, I'm speaking to someone. God knows something that a lot of us don't know. He knows that our prayers cannot always be answered as quickly as we want them to be answered. Are you listening? Listen to me. He needs us to not throw the towel in and give up. The story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, it takes a while to produce clouds. It takes a while for God to put the love for you back into a wayward spouse's heart. It takes a while for your boss to have enough sleepless nights to want to give you a raise that he'll actually want to give you a raise. Don't throw the towel in. I want you to know that when God promises you something, He will make a way for it to happen. But, but, you must keep praying, keep praising, keep believing, keep telling your unsaved loved ones and friends, God's going to come through for me. You got to keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't throw the towel in because every time you pray, things are happening. And in due time, you will get what you're praying for. I gave the illustration two weeks ago of the lady in Mulahe that told the people in the neighborhood, God's going to build me a house. God's going to build me a house. God's going to build me a house. And then one day we drive by and say, for some reason, we're supposed to build a house right here. We did. But how long has she been confessing that? How long has she been praying that God would build her house and some strangers from California come and just pick her lot out of every lot there and build her a house? Abraham had to wait for the promises that God made to him. Now, waiting isn't fun. Ask Joseph. Waiting's not fun. It's not fun to wait for a marriage to get better, to wait for a raise, to wait to get married, to wait to get pregnant. But you have to realize there's biblical patterns all throughout the Bible that'll help you endure your trials. For example, Bill Gother taught it years ago that God will give you a vision, but there'll always be a death to the vision before it's fulfilled. 
I mean, you look at the life of, of David. You're going to be king. The vision died as Saul tried to kill him for, for a long time. Then it was fulfilled. Joseph, you're going to be a ruler of God's people. Whoa! The vision totally died as he was thrown in prison and sold to foreigners. Then it came about. Abraham, you'll be the father of nations. He went through the death cycle. Then it came about. That's the way God moves. That's the way to the kingdom. That's what happens. He wants us to live by faith, even when we don't see anything happening. I know I'm talking to somebody out there. I know I am. It might be on the internet. It might be in the house. But live by faith. What is that? Live by. That's what we're to live by. We're to live by the assurance of our heart and the things we believe that are going to happen, but we see no evidence of them. Once you see evidence of them, it's no longer faith. We're supposed to live by faith. God is true to His promises. Now, it says in James that if we learn to be people of endurance, we'll be complete and lacking in nothing. See, so many people, they don't have endurance. See, right now, if I'm going to the doctor tomorrow and, and I have another disease or whatever, I can step back and kind of smile and go, been there, done this. And it's not going to disappear overnight. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to keep believing, praying, and believing, and God's going to see me through. Uh, now, notice that in the Bible and the Greek, the word temptation and testing are the same Greek words. You have to put them in the context to see whether it should be testing or tempting. Now, every time you go through a trial, God gets his clipboard out. He's testing you. He's, okay, let's see what they do. Are they going to gripe and complain? Are they going to worry as if I don't exist? Are they going to keep on praying, keep on going to church, keep on serving? Are they going to keep on? I'm going to test them and see what they do, and I'm going to reward them accordingly. But in that same situation, the devil starts tempting you. Let me show you how it works. The children of Israel, what happened with them? They were coming out of the wilderness, traveling to the promised land. In the wilderness, because they didn't see God moving the way they thought He should be moving, because they didn't see God speaking and, and performing miracles like they thought He should do, they begin to look backwards. And they said, man, when we were in Egypt, and Egypt's synonymous with the world, when we were back there, man, we had onions and leeks and garlic and we had meat. And they started looking back to their life before this journey with God, and they said, well, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Now, Satan will do pretty much the same thing with us today. He'll say, is God coming through for you? Where's he at? Where's he at? He'll say, go ahead and divorce them. God's not making this thing any better. Go ahead, divorce them. Quit your job. You don't see God moving. God's not doing anything. Give up on that healing. Stop drinking the pomegranate juice. Stop doing all that stuff. Just eat, drink, and be merry. God's not helping you. Go ahead and file for bankruptcy. Go ahead and stop praying for the salvation of that kid. They're not getting saved. Go back to the bars. God's not real. He's not moving in your life. Go back to the pornography. Go back. Give up. Remember, the teacher is always silent during the exam. Think about it. God is moving even when you don't think He's moving. Listen to me. 
The second thing that God wants to do with trials is make stronger people, make people stronger, strengthen their character. Today, why are we experiencing so many suicides by young people in America? Because we're not producing strong people. We're teaching young people that don't know how to go through problems. They don't know how to handle them. Now, parents, listen to me. Quit bailing your kids out of every problem they get themselves into. Because you're doing them an injustice. Walk with them through the problem. Don't bail them out. Don't throw money at them. Don't throw, you know, solutions at them. You got to wean them. Show them how to find God in their problem. I said it before, but I'll say it again. If God allowed you to see a preview of your child's life for the rest of their life and gave you permission to pick three things to take out of their future, more than likely you would take the very three things out of their future that were going to be used to make them more like Christ. You probably would. I mean, inevitably you would. My mom and dad, if they saw my future, they would have taken leukemia out. And if they took leukemia out, they would have did me a huge injustice because leukemia caused me to transcend to the level that I'm at today. And I couldn't have done it without it. I'm telling you, trials come to develop character in us and to make us stronger. It's like, I've been through that, I can go through it again. God saved me last time, He'll save me again. Been there, done that. Number three, trials come to show us what's inside of us and where we need to grow. Peter said trials come to prove our faith. What? Prove our faith to God? God knows all about your faith. To prove your faith to you. When you put a tea bag into hot water, what comes out is what's on the inside. When you take a tube of toothpaste and squeeze it, what comes out? What's inside? I gave you an illustration several weeks ago, and I'll repeat it for some of you who didn't hear it. My wife and I got into a little argument a few weeks ago. She did something that I didn't like that made me angry. It was something that affected me, and I wasn't happy about it. And so none of you know anything like this. You don't know about this, but I gave her the silent treatment for about 10 hours. Nobody knows about that, do you? I just didn't want to talk. You want lunch today? Not really. What are you going to eat? I'll find something. That's a real mature pastor, right? There you go. Live in my world, okay? Where are you going? Going to the gym. How long are you going to be? Who knows? I got in my car and had a divine moment. I'm telling you, it was a divine moment. All I can tell you was, it is God. And God spoke to me so real out of nowhere, and it was strong. He said, there's a parable in the Bible. A king wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. He brought one in, and he owed him 10,000 talents. And that man, when the king brought him in, said, look, you either pay up, or I'm going to throw you in prison, your wife, family, everything. And he got down and begged the man, forgive me, please. I'll pay you back. Just give me some time. Please forgive me. And he said he forgave him. But that same man went out and found somebody that had 100 denarii, owed him 100 denarii, and said, no. The guy said, beg you, forgive me, forgive me. He said, no way. You're going to pay up or else. And he threw the guy in prison. And God said, that is you, Ron. You're being hypocritical. How much have I forgiven you for? 
I've forgiven you for the worst things in the world. She's never even come close to that. I've forgiven you for so much, and you have the audacity to take a small thing and not forgive her for it after all I've forgiven you for? It was a divine moment. I mean, I knew that I knew, and I went home, and I said, babe, I just want to tell you, I am so sorry. Can I tell you what God just did? She said, I knew he would. I started praying, make that man miserable the minute you left to go to the gym. And he did. He did. For decades, God has used trials to show me stuff about me. I used to have a spirit of materialism, and God showed me. I always wanted my nice car. and I mean, I, I was so bad with my new car when I got a new car that I'd park it, and every 10 minutes I'd go out and move it somewhere else. I didn't want to get it banged. I'd be in ministering to people, and I couldn't even think about what they were saying. I was thinking about, I was wondering if my car is getting banged out there. And then I had to have the nice homes. There's nothing wrong with a nice home. That's fine. But God starts showing me, is this the way you want to live? I, I got the nice home with the big house payment, and I've got the big yard bill, and I've got the pool bill, and I got all this stuff, and I was being stressed out all the time, and God said, you really want to live this way? You, you have a spirit of materialism. And I thought, I do. I do. This is no way to live. Selfishness. One day, I was at McDonald's, and I told you this story, and a lady was there that, it was early in the morning, and I was going to make a hospital call in Fresno, and I said, what are you doing so early? We, we got into a conversation. Somehow we got to know that one another were Christians. And she said, I have to go out early and do a paper route in the morning because my kids don't have coats. And she said, I'm, I'm making extra money <clears throat> to get them jackets. I said, oh, okay, let me pray for you. And I went and got my pancakes and got my thing, my whatever. And I sit down and God spoke to me. So we also give her $80. Really? Is this you? $80. Uh, if she's still there when I get through eating, I will. I eat real slow. <laughs> Finally, I went over and said, ma'am, I'm sorry. God told me to give you $40. <laughs> I gave her $40. And I walked off, went back, and I didn't get to the door, and God said, I said 80 I didn't say 40 <laughs> I like money. And God said, you got to give it up. Money's nothing. Everything you have belongs to me. I was 29 years old, called to speak somewhere out of town. And that night I got my sermon together. Debbie went to bed. We were at a hotel. Now, I'll see what's on TV. Came across an X-rated movie, and I go, oh, what is that? I didn't order that, and I turned it off. Whoa, that's terrible. Why did I see in this before? Let me look. What did I see in it? Oh, I turned it off. I went back. That night, I couldn't sleep when that movie's on. This movie's on. And God said, you know what? You never dealt with your lust problem 100% yet. And God used that trial to show me. And I thought, man, I, I thought it was all gone. He said, it's not gone. You're going to have to continue to take that back to prayer again. You guys, look at him. don't look at me like that. You, you know you do the same thing. <laughs> Come on, I'm being real with you, okay? See, I'm not up here to promote Ron Vietti. I'm up here to promote him. And he's been patient with me. Trials come to show you the crapola in you. And yes, that's biblical. It's a Greek word for bad stuff. <laughs> Number four, we're almost through. Trials come to keep us in God's will. If you're over here at point A and God wants you at point B, he's going to cause stuff to get pretty cruddy over here at point A. Wednesday nights, you've got to remember, 
it's kind of hard for me to release right now because for the history of this church, I've done all Sunday mornings. I did Wednesday nights. I did all the funerals. I did all the weddings. When we go to marriage retreats, I did all four sessions. I did it for years. And Wednesday nights has been my favorite. And I was doing Wednesday nights for the last year before I gave them up. And every time I came down here, I told my wife, I said, man, I hate it. I hate coming down here to do Wednesday nights. I said, I don't know why. I'd come out and give the sermon and I'd go in the back room and say, how do you feel? I said, terrible. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't. And God started, and I believe God was in that, where it was a, it's a drudgery. It was tough to do Wednesday nights. And now look how good all the guys are doing a Wednesday night. I had to get out of the way so they could get up and use their gifts. There's a story in the Old Testament. A very wicked king in Israel named Ahab. And God told Elijah, he said, I want you to go and prophesy to this man. Because of your wickedness, there will be no rain in the land for this length of a time. And it will not rain again until I say, says God. And so Elijah went, shared with the king, and then God says, okay, now Elijah, there's going to be a drought. It's going to be pretty severe. So I want you to go to the brook Cherith and stay there for the time being. And he says in the scripture, I've commanded the ravens to feed you. Is that crazy? I've commanded the ravens to feed you, and you can drink from the water of the brook. Well, he went there, and he obeyed God, and he was drinking from the water of the brook. The ravens were dropping off food every day. And then the brook started drying up, drying up, drying up. And all of a sudden, he goes, what's going on? I'm smack dab in God's will, and all of a sudden, the brook's drying up, and God said, I want you to leave here. And I want you to go 100 miles north, walk 100 miles north to a place called Zarephath. And there, there's a widow staying, and I've commanded her to provide for you. Now, she had no clue. Read the story. You can read it in 1 Kings 17. She just knew that when he got there, she had a desire to do what he told her to do. Very often, when we're feeling the desire to do something or say something, that is God ordering us to do that. And so he goes. He obeys God. And he goes to Zarephath. And finds the widow there. She's outside the city gates gathering up sticks. He said, what are you doing? She said, because of the drought, we have no more oil or flour. I have a little bit left. I'm picking up some sticks to go make a fire and cook a cake. And then my son and I will eat it and we'll die. And he said, I don't think so. God has sent me here. You go make the cake. Give me some first, which is like tithing. Give me the first share, and then it'll multiply. And it did. It, a crazy story. Later on, the widow's son dies, and Elijah raises him from the dead. See, when your brook starts drying up, it's probably, if it continues and continues after prayer, it's probably because God wants to move you to another place. Let me ask you a question. Where is life drying up for you at? Some of you were at a different church and it started drying up, drying up, and God led you to VBF. And hopefully it won't dry up for you here. As long as you're in the will of God, it won't. And so ask yourself that question. What is God trying to show me in my trial? I got two more and I'll be very quick because we're out of time. Five, trials come to help us relate to other people. God doesn't cause trials, but He uses them. Life happens to everybody. You always hear my God stories. I'll give you one that John Corson shared years ago. John Corson's been through 
the fire of refining, I'm telling you. And when you listen to him today, he goes, oh, 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 oh. you wouldn't know. But he said one day he went to fly somewhere, went in the airport, and because they had a mix-up on seating, they had to put him in first class. He said, I'll take it. Sitting there, and he said, a very large, very large lady came in and sat next to him. He said, really large. And she sat down, they began to converse, and she looked at him and said, are you married? He said, in fact, I am. He took a picture out, Mouster, showing her pictures, and she began to get all teary-eyed. She says, that's what I want more than anything in life is a family. And she said, I once had a man that loved me for who I am and didn't care what I look like. And she said, we were going to get married, and I was on my way to the rehearsal dinner, and I saw his car wrapped around a telephone pole, and he died that night. She said, I've never been married since. And she said, I wanted that. But she said, again, you wouldn't understand. He said, I wouldn't understand. Give me a chance. He said, some years ago, I was driving my wife and I in Oregon to go skiing, and our car hit the ice, slid into a redwood, and it was a terrible wreck. He said, I got out and started crawling to find help. Next thing I knew, I was in an ambulance. They were rushing me to the hospital. And I looked at the ambulance driver, and I said, how's my wife? He said, oh, she's okay. And I said, no, she's not. She's in heaven, isn't she? And then the driver said, we lost her. We lost her. He said, immediately, I heard this voice. He said, it might even been audible. It was that powerful. And that voice, and I didn't even know this was a verse in the Bible at the time. He said, this voice said to me, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. He said, I heard it and it was like audible. I went to the hospital, woke up in the hospital bed. My mother and four of our staff was there crying. And I told him, I said, God spoke to me. On the way here in the ambulance, he told me that he knew the plans he had for me. Not for calamity, but, but and not for welfare, but, but and calamity, but for my welfare and goodness to give me a future and a hope. He said, I heard it. He said, no sooner did I get that out of my mouth. And the phone rang. It was Pastor Chuck Smith, my pastor. He said, man, I don't know why, but God told me I had to get a hold of you and give you a verse. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Not plans for calamity, but welfare and a future and a hope. And he told the people, look, I told you. What have I been teaching you for years? We're going to go through everything that the people in life go through. We're not exempt. And I can't promise you that you won't go through painful situations or bad situations, but I've been telling you for years, God will meet you at those points of hurt and pain. He'll be there. I promise you his power will be so strong. He's close to the brokenhearted. You don't have to fear what the future holds because my God will be there for you and his power will be strong. Well, he said, I ended up leading the lady to the Lord. And today she leads a singles Bible study back in her home church, wherever she lives at. And so, relate to one another. Cancer? I was talking to somebody the other day. They just got diagnosed with cancer. They might be going to die from it. And I said, I know what it feels like. It feels like somebody hits you in the gut, doesn't it? Because when I had cancer and told I wouldn't live, I remember today what it felt like then. I mean, some of you, you can relate to people in all different ways. Bless your heart. So many of you have been in jail and prison. It's unbelievable. But bless your heart, that's okay. You can sit down and talk to other people and say, I was in jail. I know what it was like. A lot of you have been through divorces and you've watched God heal you. You've watched what he's done.
You can relate to other people. Some of you have been suicidal. And I can, I can pull you into the office to talk to someone else that's suicidal. It just goes on and on. The last point I can't talk about it because we're out of time, but it gives us an opportunity to experiment with our faith. I mean, experiment. I, I, I've had cancer numbers on another cancer. I, I get a lot of cancers, so don't worry about it. But they've been going up for five years. And one day I thought, why not? I'm going to experiment. And I went out an hour and I prayed and I cast every demon out and I prayed, prayed. Went to the doctor and she says, man, now mind you, they have never done anything but went up two and three one hundreds every six months. They dropped six one hundreds. The doctor said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it. I prayed them down. If I kept praying, I might have prayed them away. I don't know. Why not? Why not? I got so much more to say. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King. Here is our love.